going to take a look at quite a few scriptures this morning, uh, more of a topical type of sermon today. You can turn in your uh, Bible to Matthew 28. We're going to begin there. While you're turning there, I'd just like to ask you, did you hear any bad news this week? Heard some bad news. What are some of the bad things that you heard this week? Didn't know you were going to come to church this morning and hear bad news, did you? Okay, shooting in Pittsburgh. Seems like almost every night we hear about something like that, right? What else? What's some other bad news you heard this week? Everybody likes to talk about their bad news until you come to church, right? And then, then, then there's no bad news. Yeah. My sister who hasn't talked to me for three years is a new Franny. Yeah. She was on the other side of the wall, and I guess that's all God gave me. She still doesn't talk. Oh, wow. Well, we found we're able to find some we're able to find some joy though, even in the bad news. Yeah. Who else? What other bad news did you hear? Cold weather. Cold is coming. Yeah, more cold weather, rainy weather, a surprise in Pittsburgh. What else? Ukraine. The Ukraine conflict seems like the headline news, isn't it? Every night. Bad news, bad news. What else? What's that? The subway shooting, yes. Yeah, horrible tragedy. Anybody else want to share their bad news? Yeah, oh my. That was, that was frustrating. Yeah, yeah, it came out this, the, well, through a news outlet that I, I look at frequently. Came out, there was a, a gay men's choir in California that wrote a song. And in the song it says, we're coming for your children. Sick things going on in the world. Bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news. Over and over and over. Every day we turn on the news, we look on, online. More and more bad news. But where can we get some good news? In the Bible, the gospel, the gospel means good news. The facts of the gospel. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ really took place, it has great significance for everyone. For those who do not believe in Christ, the, the resurrection makes all the difference. Only God Almighty, through His Son, has proven to the world that He has the power to raise the dead. So if you're looking for good news today, that's where you're going to find it. And it may be the only place you find it today, but it is good news. For those who are Christians, it is the proof of the resurrection that gives us hope, provides the rationale for our preaching and our teaching of the gospel. So what evidence exists for us to believe in and place our faith in the resurrection of Christ? Well, we certainly have archaeological evidence. We, we have historical evidence from even non-biblical writers. And we have eyewitness, eyewitness evidence. And the evidence presented in the New Testament primarily involves this eyewitness testimony. There are ten distinct resurrection appearances of Christ that are recorded in the New Testament. And one such case is found in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Dave went through this in pretty, pretty good detail this morning. If you're here for, for Bible study, 
But we're going to read through this again. Where it says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly, tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. It is clear from the Scriptures that our, our faith in Jesus can be based upon such testimony as this. As Jesus implied in His prayer in John and in John Himself in His Gospel, where they said, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in Me through their message. Jesus knew that this would be the case. That those who would believe would, would search the eyewitness testimony, the evidence available, and realize that this was fact. John 20 and verses 30 and 31, John writes, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of His disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. See, Jesus expected His disciples, His apostles, to be witnesses to the world. In Acts 1.8, He told them, You will be My witnesses. First in Jerusalem, and then in all Judea, and then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. You will be My witnesses. And this was especially true regarding the facts of the resurrection. Just a, a quick study through the book of Acts. A quick review through several scriptures in the book of Acts. We see this is exactly what they did. Acts 2.32, Peter told the crowd, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of it. Acts 3.15, Peter said, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. Acts 4.33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter said in Acts 10.39 and 41, through 41, while they were at Cornelius' house, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. Powerful testimony. Powerful eyewitness accounts of Jesus risen from the dead 
the marvelous things that he was able to do when he was with them after he rose from the dead. And since our faith rests primarily upon the testimony of these witnesses, were they credible? Should we take them seriously? And how strong is their testimony? Well, as with any event alleged to have occurred, there are a number of factors to consider before we accept these witnesses and accept this as historical fact. The first thing we're going to look at this morning is the number of witnesses. And why is this important? Why, Why is it so important that as we read through the Scripture, we find out there are many, hundreds in fact, of witnesses? What are some of the reasons why that occurred? Yes, correct. According to the law, they had to have at least two or three witnesses to establish something, an alleged event as fact. Before we were to bring a charge against someone before the court, you had to bring two or three witnesses. That's how it is even with the eldership in the church. You're not to bring a charge against a leader in the Lord's church without having witnesses of those things. What are some other reasons why... There's so many witnesses. Credibility, absolutely. What happens in a court of law even today if you have multiple witnesses? What, what, what is, makes it difficult? Why is it difficult to defend against many witnesses? Yeah, it's hard to, to see any bias, isn't there? And if all these eyewitness accounts and testimonies add up and they all agree with one another, you're not going to be able to bring a very serious charge against that person. There's not going to be any way that will hold up in court. It's going to be really difficult for one of those witnesses to lie, isn't it? They're going to stand out very clearly. The point of of providing so many witnesses, and, and Paul even mentions this, They could go and they could ask these witnesses. If even one of them said, no, it wasn't him, no way. That's going to provide a little bit of uncertainty. It's going to cause some question to arise in the people that that are witnessing these events. This is a very powerful testimony associated with the evidence of these eyewitness accounts. The strength Or the weakness of any testimony is affected by the number of the witnesses. Today, even in our court system, the number of witnesses plays a crucial role in our justice system. The more witnesses you have, the stronger the evidence, the stronger the case. When more witnesses are part of the case, there are more accounts, more information to go on. There were many witnesses of the resurrection. Turn over to 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at this. You want to look at the the resurrection chapter in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to start in verse 3. I think there's more reasons than one why Paul says that this is of first importance in this passage. He begins in verse 3, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. The things here Paul is about to talk about are indispensable facts of the gospel. It's the very heart of Christianity. See, without the, the facts of the gospel, all of Christianity breaks down. It's meaningless. What God did through His Son to provide for the redemption of all mankind is worthless if what Paul's about to say here is not true. Everything we know and practice as Christianity is meaningless if what he says here is not true. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was dead. The Jews made sure of that by choosing the type of death that he would face. A crucifixion death. The Romans were absolute in their methods. They would have made sure he was dead without question. He didn't come down off the cross alive. Biblical and non-biblical historians testify to his death. Paul says he died for our sins. His death was no ordinary death. He was not simply another criminal hanging on the cross. His death was for us. A substitutionary death. We deserve the punishment and death as the wages of our sin, but Christ died for us on that cross. And the law demanded this perfect sacrifice as an atonement for our sins. He did it because it was the only way. Paul goes on to say that he was buried. All four Gospels record his burial. Many would have seen him dead. The soldiers at the cross knew that he was dead. The Jewish leaders knew that he was dead. Joseph of Arimathea knew. The guards who guarded the tomb knew. They had no doubts about the nature of crucifixion and the fact that the dead body of Christ was laying in the tomb, buried. And that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The word raised in this verse is a Greek word in what's called the perfect tense of the verb, which describes an event that happened in the past, but the result still remains. And that is exactly what happened in the case of Jesus. Rose from the dead to live forevermore. He rose and is still alive and will always be alive. And Jesus said He would raise again on the third day, as Isaiah and Joel and Jonah predicted that it would happen. In verse 5, Paul continues, He appeared to Cephas, to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep. And this is where Paul, by putting this little phrase, most of them are still living. Why does he say that? Go and refer to these people. They saw him. They knew what happened. Go and ask them if it truly is the case. Some of those, they've fallen asleep or passed away. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. 
also as one to whom abnormally born. So he was seen by Peter, seen by the twelve. He's seen by 500 at one time, probably in Galilee. He was seen by James, the Lord's brother. He was seen by Paul on the road to Damascus. Other appearances that aren't mentioned here were to Mary Magdalene, to the other women returning from the tomb, two disciples on the road to Emmaus, the apostles with Thomas absent, then the apostles again when Thomas was there, the seven disciples by the lake of Tiberias, and the apostles at the ascension. And we're told in Acts chapter 1, for a period of 40 days, these witnesses had ample opportunity to see Jesus, determine for themselves if He was really raised from the dead. They were convinced, without a doubt, that it was Him. But were they reliable witnesses? How do we know that they were reliable? And this leads us to consider another factor important to accepting the testimony of a witness. Secondly, the character of these witnesses. Who were they? Well, some didn't believe in him before he rose from the dead. And those, among those were his biological brothers. In John chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, you can read that how he, they did not believe in him. They even thought that he was crazy, Mark 3.21 says. They called him out of his mind. But when they saw him after his resurrection, they became his disciples. In Acts chapter 1, it tells us they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So the very ones who called him crazy, that he was out of his mind, after the resurrection, they believed in him. Some were skeptical after his death, including Thomas who wouldn't believe the, the word of others. And not until he had first-hand evidence would he believe. And this demonstrates that there were evidences, uh, there, were, there were people who just weren't accepting the evidence in a gullible way. They wanted to have proof that these things were true. Which is why the Lord appeared to specific people. They were people that were with Him for years people that heard what he taught, knew who he was, knew the way that, that he did things. And they were confident that it was Jesus who was standing before them. One of them was even a former enemy, Saul of Tarsus, who later became known as Paul the Apostle. Until Paul saw Jesus raised from the dead, he believed it to be God's will to oppose Christ and his followers. In Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11, Paul says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul was in a, a position, a, a leadership position, to be able to take out vengeance on the followers of Christ, to do whatever he needed to do, to round them up and put them into prison, to persecute them. 
goes on to say, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Paul would find out where the Christians were. He'd go into their houses, in, into, the, into the, the marketplace, in front of everybody, blaspheme against this Jesus. Talk against Him. Say things that are bad about Him. He wasn't true. You tell your family, you tell all these people who think that He was true, that this didn't happen. That's who Paul was before he saw the risen Christ. What else besides the evidence of the resurrected Lord convinces someone who would operate in that way? These were not gullible witnesses. They required overwhelming evidence to convince them that Jesus was truly raised from the dead. Finally, let's consider the strength of their testimony. It's demonstrated by the, the nature of their testimony. They appealed to first-hand evidence. It comes from observation rather than just simple theory or, or hearing it by hearsay. For 40 days, they were given infallible proofs. They ate they drank with Him, proving that it was a physical, bodily resurrection and that it wasn't just a, simply a spiritual form of Jesus. They saw Him, they heard Him, they touched Him. John in 1 John chapter 1 testifies to this. Where he says, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, which our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, that life appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. See, they were absolutely convinced that there's, no, there's absolutely no way that they were deceived or deluded. These appearances weren't simply dreams or, or visions or hallucinations. They testified that He physically appeared to them in groups and crowds and as individuals. And the strength of their testimony is validated by their transformation. See, prior to the resurrection, what were the disciples doing? Where were they? Yeah, we're told that they were, they were in hiding. They were afraid, weren't they? What was going to happen? Here, our leader, the one who we thought was going to, to raise up an army to become the king and establish a new throne in Jerusalem, physical throne, he's He's dead. Not only was he dead, he was crucified like a horrible criminal on the cross. What are they going to do to us? Who are they going to come after next? In the gospel accounts, we, know, we only know of one who was there at the foot of the cross. There with Jesus' mother. 
While he's hanging on the cross, Jesus looks at him and says, John, take care of my mom. Make sure that she's okay. They fled at his arrest, according to Mark 14.50. They deserted him. Peter cowardly denied him three times. The women mourned at his crucifixion. After his death, we're told the disciples were sad. After his death, they met behind closed doors for fear of the Jews, John 20, verses 19 and 20 tell us. But after the resurrection, what happened? What change occurred? Instead of hiding, where are they? They're out in the temple courts, out in the wide open, preaching and teaching. The Jewish leaders come to them in the first part of the book of Acts and they tell them, stop speaking about Jesus. They put Him in jail and they get out. Where are they found again? They're right back out, in the, right in the open, preaching and teaching about Jesus without fear. Praising God in the temple. The book of Acts tells us they met daily in the temple courts from house to house. They proclaimed Christ despite the persecution. They said, we cannot keep from speaking the things we have seen and heard. We must obey God rather than man. What does that mean for us? Today is the church when the world ridicules us. And they say, Don't, you shouldn't be believing that nonsense. That's not truth. When the world is coming up with whatever truth they want to come up with, what are we to do? Preach Jesus. Remember what is of first importance, as Paul said. Preach and teach the truth of the resurrection. Proclaim the evidence associated with it. Know that it is absolute without a doubt. Fact. Let it encourage you. Provide the courage to stand up for truth. To obey God rather than man. You see, this transformation in their lives is strong evidence for the resurrection. Even one Orthodox Jewish scholar admitted if the disciples were totally disappointed... And on the verge of desperate flight because of the very real reason of the crucifixion, it took another very real reason in order to transform them from a band of disheartened and dejected Jews into the most self-confident missionary society the world has ever seen. They, what, what made them go from hiding to turning the world upside down for Jesus Christ? The fact of the resurrection. And that needs to be the same truth that the church builds its message on today. Don't hide behind closed doors. Have confidence in the truth presented in the Scripture. Boldly proclaim the good news of Christ. The only explanation can be that they were completely convinced that Christ 
had risen from the dead. They had no doubt that this was the case. And they had no doubt that this risen Savior would return again one day. And they didn't know when that was going to happen. The transformation that took place in their life proves this. It's demonstrated also by their high moral standard. They taught others to live holy lives throughout the New Testament as we read through all the letters. It's a, a constant drumbeat of the same things. Remain holy. Remain pure. Remember how to act as a Christian. Live lives worthy of being called Christians. Bear the fruit of the Spirit. All over and over and over and over. They're telling us, telling Christ's followers to have a high moral standard. So in other words, they were not the kind of people who would simply make up lies. It's demonstrated by the price that they paid. The apostles endured much suffering because of their testimony. When you have time, read in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul talks about how they were hungry, they were thirsty, they were living in rags, they were beaten. They were homeless, they were slandered called the scum of the earth, garbage. And through it all, they encouraged each other to remain faithful. According to history, all but one apostle died a martyr's death because of their testimony. Even Jesus' brother James was reported to have been thrown off the temple and clubbed to death for his testimony. What other motive would make them so persistent? What other motive, other than the fact of the resurrection, would keep them preaching this good news despite all the persecution? He had to be, without a doubt, risen from the dead. There's no other reason other than this absolute truth. And the nature of their witness does not allow for the option that they were simply deceived or deluded. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, there's only one other alternative. That they were all just liars and deceivers and they all came up with this story. How could that be the case? Even Paul admits there's only one other alternative, and it's a pitiful one in 1 Corinthians 15, 14 and 15. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Is it reasonable to believe they successfully Propagated a lie? No. Too many attested to the same fact. Too many groups were witnesses. They weren't the kind of people to fabricate falsehood. And they lived noble lives. And were all willing to suffer and die for this testimony. When we carefully study and examine these witnesses of the resurrection the only reasonable conclusion to come to is that they saw Christ as the risen Lord. And Paul says further on, 1 Corinthians 15, 
that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In verse 55, he says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. His resurrection from the dead is a sure fact. As sure as each one of us are sitting here today. The only way to deal with the problem of sin and death is to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because of the resurrection, we can have a full assurance from God that Christ is going to return one day. That judgment is going to come on the world. It will be a day of joy for those who are in Christ, but a day of anguish, a day of sorrow for those who have not obeyed the gospel, who have not taken seriously the eyewitness evidence of the gospel. In Acts 17, verses 30 and 31, it says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, But now He commands all men everywhere to repent because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. We have eyewitness account. Indisputable archaeological, indisputable historical, indisputable biblical evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And as we just read there, just as sure as that fact is, He will return one day from the glories of heaven to return and to take His bride, the church, back to heaven to be with Him in glory forever and ever and ever. Jesus is risen. And that is good news for every single one of us today. And if you're here today outside of Christ, if you haven't accepted that good news, if you haven't accepted that evidence, today is the day to do it. Do not leave today. without taking care of the problem of sin, the problem of death. Believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Be willing to confess that before others. Be willing to start a new life, to repent, and to turn toward God, to be immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you will rise out of that watery grave, that baptistry, as a new creature in Christ, a follower of Christ. And then be willing to tell others this good news.